the Oasis Church podcast. Thanks for joining us. This is a reading from Luke, chapter 1, verse 39 to 56. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honoured that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl, And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. And for he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then went back to her own home. Hello, good morning everyone. Great to be together again. My name is Rich and I'm going to be looking at this next part of our Advent series together. But I want to start with a question. Who opened an Advent calendar this morning? Hands up. Okay, not too many of us, okay. How many Advent calendars, is the next question, do you have in your house? Uh, We have six in our house, just put on there. Uh, Some of them are new for this year uh, and some we go through every year. Uh, thankfully, not the chocolate ones uh, in that case, because I think you can never have too many advent calendars, right? Um, although partly, I do need to confess that uh, the reason we have quite so many is because as well as getting one for my wife, Jules, I also got myself an extra one just in case, because I thought you can't be too careful and I want to make sure that even though I know we have at least another three in the house, there will be another one there. And so now we have six that I get to enjoy uh, every day. We're in a series exploring Advent, and uh, this is a three-week series. It was kicked off last week by Alice, uh, and Advent is a time when the church has historically entered into a season of waiting, a season that echoes the waiting of the people of God in the Old Testament, waiting for a promised saviour, and it reflects how we wait now for Jesus to come and renew and restore all things in our world. And that can make it an uncomfortable season. 
And it's uncomfortable because it forces us to come face to face with the darkness in our world and in ourselves. But as Alice looked at last week, in a world like ours, we need Advent. Advent is made for a weary world that's desperate for a thrill of hope to rejoice in. Advent is the most unsentimental, realistic way of looking at life. It invites us to look inside ourselves and to look outside to the world around us, to sit with the darkness and the pain and the discomfort of this season, to sit honestly with the heartache we're feeling when we experience or encounter suffering, either in our own life, in the lives of others, or around the world as we turn on the news. It's a moment to allow our souls to be stirred with a righteous sense of this isn't how it's meant to be. This is the point of Advent. It places front and center the effects of brokenness and sin on our world so that as Tish Harrison Warren says, we are more profoundly filled with longing for God's deliverance of all the world, including ourselves. It doesn't say we can fix things if we try hard enough. And it doesn't say it's completely hopeless. What's the point? Advent acknowledges it really is dark out there. We really can't heal or save ourselves. But nevertheless, there is hope. There is hope. And Advent takes us back to the beginning of the story of the Bible, where God creates a good world, but things go wrong. Darkness and evil and pain enter the world. Things are broken, but even in the very moment of its breaking, God speaks a promise that someone is coming who will change everything, who will bring restoration and renewal of all that is good. Someone is coming who will crush the head of darkness and evil and brokenness and deal with it once and for all. Someone's coming. That's the word that echoes down all throughout the Bible, throughout the Old Testament. On every page, someone's coming. Someone's coming. And that's where we pick up the story in the passage that Susie read for us this morning. Mary has learned that she is going to give birth to the promised Savior. The someone is about to arrive. God is about to flick the switch on the revolution. He's about to inaugurate a brand new kingdom, a new reality. He's about to turn the course of history on its head. And in response, Mary sings a song of praise and worship. It's known uh, throughout Christian history as the Magnificat, from the Latin for the first word. It's a song of tremendous depth and insight. Sometimes as a community, we have moments in our worship where we sing out spontaneously uh, together as a congregation. Um, my contribution to that tends to be kind of one or two lines uh, with slightly questionable vocal quality. Um, Mary's song is not like that. Um, hers is the song of a profound theologian, uh, a teacher of the scriptures, uh, a teacher of ethics, a teacher of justice. It brings to fulfillment the thread of radical revolutionary songs by powerfully prophetic women that has flowed through the Hebrew scriptures. Miriam in Exodus 15, Deborah 
in Judges 5, Hannah in 1 Samuel 2. Women who have led the people of God in celebration at how God has upended the structures of the world in order to save and redeem and transform. And so we're going to take a little bit of time this morning to work through her song, to unpack it, and to delve a little bit more deeply into what Mary has to teach us this morning. We're going to look at how her words reflect three things, a promise for her, a promise for us, and a promise for all. Because if you see, this is where she ends in verse 55. God has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. God has made a promise. And we're going to take that line, the promise of what God has done, what he is now doing, what he will do. Ultimately, essentially, the promise that God is at work that he is moving and acting in the world on behalf of his people. He's at work. We're going to take that promise and we're going to read uh, the whole song in the light of it. Someone's coming to change everything for Mary, for us, and for all. So first of all, a promise for Mary. So hers is a very personal song. It starts with uh, a shout of exclamation. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. There's a depth that's revealed right from the first outpouring of praise. She doesn't need a song to warm up, like I sometimes do when I arrive at church on a kind of frosty Sunday morning. I need a little bit of time to warm up and get into what God is saying to me and saying to us as a community. Mary, straight in there. And that shout of praise that just kind of bursts out of her, uh, shows that her faith is alive, shows that it's been cultivated through moments of enjoying God's goodness, of soaking in the scriptures. We've been told that Mary has been on a journey to visit her relative Elizabeth. This, I think, is what she's been thinking about on the road as she's been walking. She's been pondering God's goodness. She's been enjoying time with him. She's been just soaking in the goodness of who he is. Mary is not a helpless victim. She's not a bystander in the story without choice or agency. She's a woman of remarkable faith, wisdom, and authority who steps with boldness into all that God has for her. And yet, at the same time, she is still primarily a recipient of God's grace and mercy. Her song overflows with joy at the decisive action of God. Look at all the verbs that she describes. God is the one who acts, he acts, he scatters, he brings down, he lifts up, he fills, he empties, he helps, he remembers, he promises. Mary, in faith, with action, receives and rejoices and treasures and partners with God to bring about his purposes. But he is the principal actor. He is the foundation and the source of all that has been and all that is to come. And you know, this is the pattern for our lives too. This is what Advent invites us to see, that God is always working in us, through us, in the world, in ways that are seen and ways that are unseen. He is the central protagonist in the story of the world and the story of our lives. 
It's the promise of his presence with us that generates the transformation in us. It's God's word to us that creates his work in us. It's not about us drumming up self-motivation to do the things that we think we should be doing or believe the things that we think we should be believing. It's about, as with Mary, receiving the word that God has already spoken and learning day by day, moment by moment, that the promise he has already made, that he is with us, that he's sending us, that he is at work. That's what does the work in us. God's word to us creates his work in us. It's his promises and his presence that generates our faith and our action, our participation in his purposes in each of the many unique situations and circumstances that we've been played uh, in which God is wanting to work amongst us. That's what God wants to do. That's a promise for Mary, but it's a promise for us to take hold hold of as well. Secondly, a promise for us. At the same time, Mary is acutely aware that her faith doesn't just exist in a vacuum. It's not isolated from others. God's promise isn't just for her, it's for the people of God caught up in his story. It's what she says. For the mighty one is holy. He has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation. Mary is someone who has known God's kindness and mercy, who celebrates in what God has done in her life. But she also knows that her experience is not an individualistic thing. It's fundamentally tied to the mercy that God has shown from generation to generation. That the story of the people of Israel is her story. And that her story is part of that big story. That God is at work even in her even in a remote backwater corner of a vast empire amongst a colonized people, miles and miles from palaces, princes, and powers. God is working out the story of his people, and he's doing it as he moves in the lives of two women. One thought too old, one thought too young. One married, one unmarried one from the priestly tribe of Levi, one from the royal tribe of Judah. Elizabeth, whose story we looked at last week, and her relative Mary. This is where God is beginning the restoration of all things for all people. In the most unseen, in the most hidden, in the most unappreciated place, God is doing his most significant, his most world-changing work. And you know, this is not a one-off. This is how he always does it. This is where he's working even today. God's promise is embodied and God's provision is shown and God's purposes come, most often, not through dramatic events for famous people, but in millions of small ways, as millions of seemingly insignificant people live out their lives. People like me, people like you. God's big story is not usually revealed by extraordinary people doing exceptional things, but by ordinary people in everyday 
situations. And that's incredibly liberating for us because it frees us from any sense of needing to feel like we've made it before God can use us or be at work in our lives. God is always at work amongst his people. Even when we don't see it, he's working. He is always catching them up in the story of what he's doing in the world. He's at work in the lives of Mary and Elizabeth. He's at work in the lives of you and me. For Mary, at this point in the story, nothing visible had changed in her life. But in truth, everything had changed. Everything had changed for her and for everyone. Participation in the promises of God, more often than not, does not look glamorous or glorious. Most days, it barely even looks noticeable. But the light that God has placed within you is a seed. And the darkness we reflect upon in Advent is the dirt in which it grows and blooms and bears fruit. Even when it's dark, even when it's hard, even when we can't see it, he's making a way. This is what Advent teaches us. And what God is doing through his people, as he's always sought to do, is bless in order that all would be blessed. This is a promise for all, that all would come and receive the promises given by faith. This is how Mary continues. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. The promise of what God is doing isn't just for one person or one community or one nation, but for everyone. This new thing that he is doing is going to turn the world's established power structures and political systems upside down, just as God has always done. There is a radical, revolutionary aspect to what this child to be born will do. But it's not a departure from what God has always done. It's the fulfillment of it. Think through the story of the Old Testament. Think of Joseph, sold into slavery, who rises to become Pharaoh's right-hand man to save a nation from famine. Think of Ruth, a foreigner whose courage and faith builds a family that leads to David, Israel's greatest king, and eventually all the way to Jesus. Think of Esther, who speaks out in a culture where she had no voice at the risk of death to rescue God's people in exile. This is what God has always done. He has always lifted up those who have not been seen and not been noticed and who don't have any power in the systems and structures of the world. Mary's song is a shot across the bows, not just of the rulers of her day, but of us. And this is where Advent gets uncomfortable. It's a shot across the bows of the ways in which the systems and structures of power in our day that we are very much caught up in exploit the poor at home and around the globe, build whole industries 
dedicated to dealing death, breed social and racial inequality, devastate the natural world given to us to care for. Advent declares judgment on the systems of fast fashion, factory farming, fossil fuels, and fraudulent finance that we have built into the very fabric of human existence. But it's not that Advent comes with a stick to beat and condemn us. It's not that. Rather, if we let it, Advent is designed to stir in us that deeper hunger, that deeper longing for a world of love and freedom and justice and healing that calls us not just to sit and examine our own hearts, but to step out in action. So that as Isaiah puts it in Isaiah 52 verse 10, so that all people will see God's salvation. This is the call of Advent. All people will see God's salvation. Salvation, the word in Hebrew that becomes the name Jesus. Jesus. Because this upside downness, this reversal, this bringing of rulers down but lifting up of the humble is so central to Jesus' message and what he came to do. His is the upside down kingdom where the ones who are blessed are the hurting, the broken, the poor, the sick, the outcasts. Where traitorous tax collectors are invited to host dinner and end up giving away everything. Where fathers who have been humiliated by their sons drop everything and come running at the sight of them. Where women who've been trapped in cycles of abusive relationships become the first apostles to their towns to tell of the good news of who he is. A kingdom where the creator of everything stoops to wash his disciples' sweaty, stinking feet. Where the ultimate victory over death and darkness is won not on the battlefield, not in the debating chamber, not in the palace throne room, but in the laying down of a life on a lonely hill and a rugged cross. This is how Jesus does it. The promise from the very beginning that someone is coming who would change everything comes to fulfillment in the very action of our rejection the very moment when we plunge the eternal light into darkness, when we kill the author of life itself, that becomes the ultimate act that accomplishes everything he has always planned. The moment when the curtain in the temple is torn in two and the invitation is thrown far and wide to come, for all to come. There's no barrier to God's presence. This is the moment that declares to all of creation that everything that might separate us from God is brought to an end as Jesus is separated from the Father. That everything that was broken in the fall has been made whole in his broken body. That every part of shame and guilt that we've been carrying is dealt with as the only guiltless man dies in the most shameful way that humanity could invent. 
And then everything changes again. The stone is rolled away. Life bursts out on Easter morning. The birth of a new creation, inaugurated right in the midst of the brokenness of the old, in order that we might know hope now and in the future, that God has committed himself to the restoration of this world and that he has begun that now in and through us. The promise made centuries ago to Abraham that God is at work, that someone's coming who changes everything, that all nations will be blessed through one from his family line is coming to fulfillment. And this is where it starts. A light is breaking into the darkness. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is here. Jesus is enough, full stop. And Jesus changes everything for everyone. And you are invited. You're invited. Do you know this Jesus? Do you know this king of an upside down kingdom? No matter what your story has been, you are invited to come and to take hold by faith of everything that's already been accomplished. It's all been done. And receive it with joy. Like Mary, to grasp the magnitude of what God has done and is doing and will do. To hear and respond with a step of faith that takes you to Jesus. And to join him in bringing his upside down kingdom. His liberating love-proclaiming, life-giving kingdom. A kingdom that changes everything for everyone, everywhere it goes. A kingdom that's now at work in you, uniting you with your savior, building a community of hope, showing mercy to the poor, challenging the systems and structures that perpetuate injustice, and welcoming anyone and everyone who wants to come. God is at work. This is his promise for Mary, for us, for everyone, for everyone. And we're invited. If you're able to stand, why don't you stand with me? We're just going to pray and then we're going to close for this morning. Jesus, you are good news. You are good news. You're good news for our broken, hurting world. You're good news for our broken, hurting souls. And this morning, Jesus, we come again. We stand before you the one who has laid down everything for us. The one long promised, the one long awaited. Jesus, you came. You did not leave us 
in our darkness and our brokenness. But you came. You delved into the very depths of it. You experienced the very worst of what humanity could throw at you. And you rose in glorious life. That in this present moment, in our world now, 2,000 years later, thousands of miles away, we might be those who are able to stand and say yes to the promises of God in our lives. Yes to the promises of God for our world. Yes to what he wants to do in and through us in each of our unique situations and circumstances. Jesus, we say yes to you again this morning. Jesus, we draw near again. Jesus, we join with Mary's song. Oh, how our souls praise the Lord. Oh, how we magnify you. Lord, would you magnify what you're doing in and through us. Amen.